Christ returns, his church will rise adore with joys abroad from everywhere to glorify the Just 
Jesus, we love your word. Lord, speak to our hearts now, anoint our pastor. Bless him, keep him, Lord. Oh, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for all you do in our lives. Thank you for our pastor. In Jesus' name, amen. God is good. God is good. Amen. Amen. Always will be. Always will be. No matter what's going on around us, don't forget. Jesus is coming back. He loves us. He cares about us. And he always wants what's best for us. Father, we thank you that your heart is ever toward us. You laid your life down. What an incredible, wonderful act of not only humility but love and laying your life down for us to suffer so that we wouldn't suffer eternally eternally we thank you for your shed blood that has purchased us that has cleansed us and lord asking tonight as we open up your word that you would speak to us and encourage us please in jesus name we pray amen amen amen, amen. i just asked the lord would encourage us and i, I pray that tonight's not a discouragement because of some of the things that I'm going to share with you tonight. But I woke up this morning, and I was actually, you know, I had spent previous days this week preparing tonight's message, and then this morning I woke up, and I was in Psalm 106, and the Lord really impressed something on my heart. So restart, <laughs> Psalm, Psalm 106, verses 36 through 45. And the title of the message tonight is Trouble on the Horizon. And as we look at this, in Psalm 106, it gives a history of uh, the children of Israel and, and God's dealings with them, at least in part. And the, what the Lord put on my heart is to relate that to what we're seeing today taking place in our country. Uh, yesterday, as you know, was an election in several states. And one of the issues in the campaigns in key to determining the votes was abortion rights. It became a political thing, and it garnered votes. Four things that were determined. First, Ohio passed Ohio Issue 1, which is the Reproductive Rights Amendment. And in part, the language says this, it would allow 
every person the legal right on abortion up to 22 weeks. Formerly, there was a six-week restriction. Second, Kentucky's governor held on to his office by campaigning for reproductive rights. Third, Pennsylvania won an open seat in their Supreme Court by campaigning to uphold abortion rights, thereby taking the majority. Fourth, Virginia ousted their governor and gained control of the state house, which essentially will block any new abortion restrictions. This is what turned the tables in this election. It's heartbreaking to me. And on top of that, President Biden applauded this. And here's what, here's what he said. Tonight, Americans once again voted to protect their fundamental freedoms and democracy won. Ohioans and voters across the country rejected attempts to impose extreme abortion bans and put the health and lives of women in jeopardy. My administration will continue to protect access to reproductive health care and call on Congress to restore the protections of Roe versus Wade in federal law once and for all. And I use that as a backdrop for tonight's passage in Psalms 106. And it's not intended in, by any stretch of the imagination to be a political message. It's a message that the scriptures provided to Israel that are very much in line with our present condition in our beloved country, the United States of America. There's trouble brewing in our land. Deep, deep troubles. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, Isaiah said this, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I contend that we're seeing a lot of this these days. Evil being called good, good being called evil. Adopting things that we know are squarely against God and his word. Well, let's start in verse 36 of Psalm 106. Speaking of the children of Israel, and they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Unto them. I suggest that idol worship is foundational to the decay of a nation. Why? Because it dethrones God in man's heart. Exodus 20, verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And God knows what he's talking about. And he's serious. And you know, we could, we could talk about statues and graven images and things like that. But the truth is, idol worship, it's a matter of the heart. It's entirely a matter of the heart. And we can enthrone anything that we want. The biggest danger that we face is people enthroning themselves. Because when they do, they have placed their will as a supreme will, regardless of what God says. Jesus said, thy will be done and not mine. But the words for so many are, my will be done and not yours. What's happening is people's rights and their being right is what most concerns them, rather than what God defines as a standard for rightness. 
Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. If the law of the Lord is perfect, it means anything that is done to alter it in any way makes it imperfect, doesn't it? Including disregarding it or ignoring it. When we begin to create and follow our own standards, we make ourselves as little gods, don't we? We become self-serving, and that's idolatry. Psalm 106, verse 36, the verse we just read says it's a snare. It's a trap. It's a danger. And it leads to destructive decision-making in lifestyles. And it keeps us from God's ways. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 5 through 7 says, To whom will ye liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be like? The lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in a balance and hire a goldsmith and he maketh it a god. They fall down, yea, they worship, they bear him upon their shoulder, they carry him, they set him in his place and he standeth from his place he shall not remove, yea, One shall cry unto him, yet he cannot answer, nor save him out of his trouble. And of course, he's speaking there of graven images, little idols and trinkets and things like that. But then again, we can put ourselves there. None of us have the power of God. Futility of idol worship. Judges 2, verse 12 says, And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them and they bowed themselves unto them and they provoked the Lord to anger. It's displeasing to the Lord. This is what he's saying here. What's the result? Verses 37 through 39 says this. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works and went a-whoring with their own inventions. What God is saying there is this, this idol worship, this focus from the one true living God to other gods, including ourselves, it's led to a disrespect for human life. Sacrificed their children to these idols, and they wrongfully disregarded the author of life. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God is the creator. God is the creator. But man has taken upon himself to come up with our own theories, denying the miraculous hand of God in creating human life itself. And therefore, entitles himself to define and defile life that God has created. When we dethrone God, make ourselves God, and start making decisions that are against God, in many, many ways, we've defiled and defined life that God has established. And we say, well, no, it didn't come from him. It just kind of happened over millions and billions of years. It evolved. 
And that removes in people's minds and hearts the hand of God upon human life. And then God becomes just a figment of imagination rather than a sovereign God. Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 17 says, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. You see, every successive step from idol worship on is a step down, unless it's repented of. And repentance is necessary in order to get back up where we belong, and is worshiping the one true and living God. But aside from repentance, every single step is a step down. After Cain murdered Abel, in Genesis 4, verses 9 and 10, it says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. He said, Your brother's blood, God says, cries out to me. See, God doesn't forget it. It's forgivable for sure. And praise God for the forgiveness. He has extended forgiveness to us, to me, and to Jackie, and to others that have taken the life of a little one. I'm so grateful that our God is gracious, but it needs to be repented. It needs to be healed. Hebrews 20, 12, 24 picks up on this, and it reads like this. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now, what does this mean? It says, Abel's blood cries out from the ground in an imperfect way. Well, what does it cry out? It's a message of, this is before Jesus, it's a message of condemnation, judgment, and accusation. The message of Abel's blood, your brother's blood, it cries out to me, you killed your brother, Cain. It cries out for vengeance. The blood of Abel speaks. But as Hebrews 12, 24 says, the, the blood of Jesus Christ speaks louder and of better things. It doesn't speak of murder. It doesn't speak of condemnation or judgment or accusation. What does the blood of Jesus speak of? Well, it cries out in a better way. What does it cry out? It cries out forgiveness. Praise God. His shed blood cries out forgiveness, paid for, sin washed away, no condemnation for any of us here tonight that have suffered the pain and guilt of abortion because we have been washed and cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. It's his blood that cries out in a better way. And Abel is a, one of the profound pictures of Jesus in the scriptures as a shepherd, a priest, an acceptable sacrifice, hated by his brother, and his blood was poured out. And one more thing to note, where it says, the voice of thy brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. In Hebrew, the word brothers is plural. Not just possessive, it is plural. You see, Jesus views this as a loss of potential of the human life. That person will never have any descendants. Their children never have descendants. Children's children, children's children's children. Ongoing generational chain of missing people and all those would have come to him and will never be. And you take into the growing count of 65 million plus aborted babies. 
And the thought is staggering. So the people of Israel, they worshipped other gods. They had no respect for human life because they became their own gods. They worshipped the creature more than a creator. Judges 17, verse 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that was right in his own eyes. And isn't that the problem today? We do what's right in our eyes apart from God. Any person that's apart from relationship with Jesus, we think what we do is right. And we make decisions that benefit us. This is what Israel did. But you know, Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is the Lord of Lords, yet relatively few enthrone him as King, more interested in self rule. Therefore, verse 40 says, was the wrath of God kindled against his people insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. You see, there, there comes a time when God says, Enough is enough. I've commanded you, I've warned you of the consequences. And because of disobedience, God says, I must judge it. And this is a strong warning for us. And it's a strong warning for every nation, especially, I I only know our nation as well as more than any nation. I don't know the other nations. So it's a warning for us where presently, I believe, we are under God's judgment. God commanded. God has warned So the nation that disobeys God's command and ignores his warnings leaves God with no alternative other than to do what? To to judge. You know, the Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And I believe that with all my heart. God is long-suffering, willing, and unperished, and all come to repentance, but there comes a point in time. And I don't know what that point in time is. Only God does when he says, enough is enough. And I do believe that God has been judging our nation for for decades. We are in the same state Israel was in in the Old Testament days, very clearly as you read the psalm here, isn't it? Well, you might ask, well, how is America being judged? Well, we see insecurity in our borders, don't we? We sure do. Verse 41, God gave them into the hand of the heathen that they hated them, ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them. They were brought under subjection under their hand. Our borders are a dangerous place. And God has, in his sovereignty, he's given man what they want. Open up the borders. I believe that's a portion of God's judgment. We've seen attacks on U.S. soil, dialing back 20 years or so. And what's happened is we've become a terror-motivated nation afraid of our enemies. We've seen an an increase in natural disasters, economic problems. Whoever thought computer chips would shut the nation down, shut down automobile manufacturing, parts manufacturing, you name it, it was shut down. It can't get the chips. Runaway crime. Legalization of things that ought never to be made legal. It's just the past 50 years the U.S. has seen things like this. And these are real numbers, a 560% increase in violent crime. A 
520% increase in student crime committed in schools. 400% increase in juvenile arrests. More than a 400% increase in births outside of marriage. Increased divorce rates. A 300% increase in the number of children living in single-parent homes. Huge increases in suicides among teens, among adults, people of all ages. And most recently, a 400% increase in anti-Semitism. I mean, the things that are taking place in our country, in universities, and in cities, protests in favor of terrorism, it's like unthinkable. And it's aimed at Israel, God's people. God said, I will bless those that bless thee and curse those that curse thee. And again, I, I say I believe that we're entering into a time of trouble on the horizon. And I don't say any of this to frighten anybody here. I mean, this is the reality. We love Jesus, and, and he's coming back to get us. Amen. And with that knowledge, with that hope, we, we carry on doing exactly what he has asked us to do. And last week, I think I talked about just taking a step, one step at a time, one step of obedience. Just do what he asks you to do, and don't worry about the rest. And I had a lesson this week. You know, I, I, I shared on that last week, and I said to Jackie the other day, I said, you know, I, I've been worrying about things. I think about this, this, the other thing, and, you know, various things in our life right now. And God spoke to my heart. And he said, on Tuesday during prayer, he said, casting all your care upon me because I care for you. And you know what he gave me? Peace. Peace. Give it to Jesus. Any concerns, worries, troubles you have, give them to Jesus. Because what we find all around us, we know it's demonic in nature. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. Ephesians 6, 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Sometimes we treat it that way, don't we? But we have to look beyond that, behind it. What's behind all of this? It's the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. And you know, we were founded as a, as a godly country, yet in the brief history of our nation, and this is a young nation, compared to others in the world, we've turned our backs on God. Jeremiah 2.13 says, For my people have committed evil, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And in Jeremiah 15.6, Thou hast forsaken me, saith the Lord, thou art gone backward. Therefore will I stretch out my hand against thee and destroy thee. I am weary with repenting. What does that mean in today's terms? I don't know. The only thing I do know is it's God's word. And he is getting weary at some degree, at some level. And judgment is coming. We're pursuing false religions with false gods. 
And we're saying, hey, it's okay. Aren't we just one big happy family? No, we're not. Nor will we ever be one big family, happy family spiritually. We won't see that until we get to heaven. And that's the family of God. We've become fascinated with the occult. We've embraced Eastern religions, Eastern mysticism, things like yoga. Some debate, well, it's just a stretching exercise. But listen, remember what the roots are in the Eastern gods. The positions are designed to invoke Hindu gods. That's what's behind it all. And by the way, yoga has a meaning, means union or yoking, aiming at bringing about the union of the human spirit with the spirit of the universe. But there's also a deeper meaning, a separation from the physical illusion of life. And, and yoga calls upon gods like Shiva, who is the destroyer. So there's a spiritual deception there, isn't there? There's a repackaging, and it's become westernized. And it's everywhere. If you do your homework, you'll see that yoga is harmful to Christians. It's not the same spirit. Also, so many of the things that America once gloried in have become shameful. America once gloried in having the strongest economy in the world. Now, we are the most indebted nation in the world. We boasted of our freedoms, especially in our religious heritage. Now those freedoms are being eroded and they're being taken away. But we have to remember that the rights that we have are granted by God. They're granted by God, not by man. You know, our educational system is well behind other industrial nations. <clears throat> and what's happening is, and what happened in Israel, is we are eroding from within. I think of Balaam, the Old Testament prophet. At the time of the children of Israel making their way to the promised land, many enemies would rise up, and they were almost there where they needed to be, and God would protect them in their journey. They would defeat one city after another with relative ease. And there was a king named Balak. Balak was the king of Moab. Moab was the next kingdom in the promised land, on the way to the promised land, and Balak was worried that his land would be conquered. These Israelites, they're knocking everybody off. So Balak... He contacted a prophet named Balaam, and he paid him. He said, I, I want to I pay you to put a, pronounce a curse against Israel. So Balaam sent a message from the servants of Balak with this proposal to pay for this curse, and Balaam told Balak, you'd meet with God and, and give a word against Israel. As Balaam speaks, and as you might expect, he couldn't curse. But he blessed Israel. Deuteronomy 23, verse 5 says, Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. <laughs> They're God's chosen people. God protected them. He wouldn't permit Balaam to pronounce a curse against them. Well, King Balak wasn't happy. So he thought, well, maybe you can't curse them all at once, so let's just 
go to some area where you see just a portion of the children of Israel, and in other words, we'll curse in small bites. Told Balaam, now pronounce a curse. What happened? Another blessing. Balak was livid. He tried again, sacrifices and all, and again he blesses the people. This happened a fourth time. And Balaam gave an incredibly beautiful blessing. Well, it sounds like such a good report, but it reveals the heart of Balaam. We find in later chapters that Balaam came to Balak out of greed for money. That's what was all behind it. And he said, I have a secret, however. He said, you will never defeat these people from the outside. And, you know, maybe there's, there's nations of this world that think, well, we know the United States has an enormous amount of firepower. I'm not sure we can defeat them on the outside. So what's ta- taking place? There's huge amounts of propaganda taking place from Russia and China, infiltrating our social media, spreading lies. With what intention? To cause us to collapse within. Balaam said, you can't defeat these people from the outside. It can't happen because their God is too strong and is on their side. But their God is a holy God, and he's a jealous God. And although you cannot defeat them from without, the only way to defeat them is from within where they defeat themselves. Now, because God is, their God is a holy God and a jealous God, he said, listen, have your young Moabitess women go into the camp of Israel Numbers 25, and offer themselves to the young Jewish men. And then, when they are seduced, bring out your idols, and the young men will worship, eat food, sacrifice to idols, and bow their heads to their gods. And then, because their God is a jealous and righteous God, he will rise up a judgment against them that you could never bring against them yourselves. And it's exactly what Balak did. Just as Balaam suggested, And what happened? 24,000 men died from a resulting plague. And I believe we can can relate this to this internal corruption that leads to failure. Internal corruption that leads to failure. We see it around us. It's ramping up the fight for rights of individuals. Innocent blood being shed. Immorality, idolatry, compromise, God's judgment. And I think it's an important lesson. We as a country may have a strong military. Strongest in the world? I don't know. Who knows? There's enough weapons in this world to destroy it a billion times over, I'm assuming. But we have a weak spot. We can bring judgment upon ourselves if we allow idolatry to continue, immorality to continue to grow, self-rule to creep into our lives. And when we do, we'll force God, because of his nature and his righteousness, to bring a chastening upon us, which means it's self-destruction. We've invited God to do what he needs to do 
He did it in Noah's day, didn't he? When their thoughts were wicked, continually. And God said, I have to judge it. How far are we away from that? Family, I don't know. I, I don't know. But there's a going to be and there is currently a destruction from within. There's unrest. There's hatred. There's anger. There's murder. All kinds of violence. The pillars are crumbling. Verses 41 through 43. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought unto sub, into subjection under their hand. And many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Romans chapter 1 gives us a pattern of God's response to rebellion. Verses 22 through 25, it says, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Interesting. Idolatry. Into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. And then verse 26 says, for this cause God gave them up into vile affections. There's twice now. God gave them up, God gave them up. And then verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. They rejected the knowledge and acknowledgement of God, and God says, okay, have it your way. Are we there? I don't think just yet, but we're getting closer. In the pattern that we see in Psalm 106, verses 44 through 46, or 45, excuse me, after all these things, you know, that, that God related to us in this psalm, it says, nevertheless, he regarded their affliction. Praise God. He regarded their affliction. He took note, in other words, and he heard their cry. And he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of what? Multitude of his mercies. God continues to show us grace and mercy, doesn't he? And praise God. Praise God for his mercy. He hears our cries. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven. And I can't remember the, the total rest of the verse, but I will heal their land. What I'm saying is we're not out of God's reach. We're still within his, his reach. But he wants to come back to him. He continues to show grace and mercy. Why? Well, Micah 
says, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, he does not retain his anger forever. Why? Because he delights in mercy. But there will be a time when the well of mercy will run dry. So perhaps the Lord is beckoning us as a nation to wake up. And as individuals, to wake up. And, and we must. Ephesians 5, verses 14 through 17 says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly. In other words, he says, paying attention. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. What, what incredible instruction it is for us, isn't it? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming it how? Redeeming it by spending our time with the Lord and at his feet. And listening for his still small voice. Obeying his commands. And doing exactly what he asks us to do. If there is some kind of stay in God's judgment, where is it going to come from? By people doing exactly what we should be doing. You know, Moses, remember, God was going to judge, judge Israel. He pleaded be, before the Lord. He just, he prayed and he said, God, please, in your mercy, stop. And God did. Can God do that again? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I think we need to be on our faces praying for our nation, praying for our leaders. As we were worshiping here, I took a photo of one of the screens because it was really, I want to read this to you. If you don't mind. If you do mind, I'm reading it anyhow. Uh, <laughs> it says, long has the, the world fought the songs of the angels. Heavenly music is drowned by a warring world. Yet hope burns a light that shatters the night. Turn your heart to the call of glory. Don't you love that? Turn your heart to the call of glory. Yes, the world is raging around us. There's wars cropping up everywhere. Don't be discouraged. Rather be encouraged because God is merciful and he has a promise for you that he's going to take care of you. Just keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes where they belong, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. In other words, he started your faith, he authored it, and he's going to finish it. Stay close to him. Don't let the world trouble you. Yes, these things are real. They've been real in the past, they're real presently, and God is still God. God is still good. God is still merciful. And God still judges, as he must. So, Father, we come to you tonight, and I thank you for this psalm, a stark reminder of the things that took place in the past are taking place even now. But I'm so grateful that even as we see the, the difficulties that we face in this world, we know that there's a God of love that, that so cares for us. And we just want to bless your holy name. We want to bring glory to your holy name by living the kind of lives that 
if you've, you've designed for us to live, lives that are pleasing to you. Lord, as our, our nation seems to be steeped in idolatry and self-will, self-rule, Lord, we want to be ruled by you. For you are our King of kings and Lord of lords, and we love you. We do pray for our nation, Lord, that we would be a nation that once again brings honor to you. That as a nation, we would stand against the things that you stand against, and we would stand for the things that you stand for. That we would embrace truth, that we would embrace the standards that you, God, have outlined in your word. It seems impossible from where I stand right now, Lord, but you are God and you can do all things. So you tell us to pray for our leaders, so we're praying for our leaders. We lift them up to you now, all of them, that by your Holy Spirit you would prick their hearts. And for those that are following after corrupt leaders, Lord, we pray for them too, that their hearts would be changed. It would be exposed, the darkness would be exposed by the light. And there would be great repentance. Lord, we can pray for revival, but it has to start right here. Revive us, O oh Lord. Strengthen us for your purposes in these days in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.